Hi, Ada and Henry. Uh, so when I think of trans characters, there is one particular character that just stands out to me. That is Wolverine. Like, not just like the super muscular, hairy, X-Men mutant character, but a specific Wolverine. That is Hugh Jackman's portrayal of him in the movie. So his Wolverine, Hugh Jackman's Wolverine, we get to see this internal conflict, this intense suffering and this fight for him to sort of make sense of himself, his body, how he cares for others, how he cares for himself. And within all that, there's this deep heaviness to his character where we see him wanting to belong but also fighting all of these internalized phobias about himself and others. We see him oscillate wildly between claiming his body and this self-destructive disassociation from who he is. He both resides in this place of despair for himself and also in this intense hope and protection of those around him. It's as if he feels like it's too late for him to be who he is, but he will do everything in his power to ensure others have it better than he had it. Wolverine is this mama bear figure that is able to use her ability to suffer and be resilient to protect and care for those around her. So this week, I am telling you why Hugh Jackman's Wolverine is totally trans. My name is Remington Johnson. I am a Presbyterian pastor. Uh, Specifically, I am a healthcare chaplain. I've been serving at the bedside of the sick and the dying for the past 10 years. I'm a mom. Uh, I'm a trans woman. My pronouns are she and her. Uh, And I'm super duper excited to be here. I am Henry Jardina. I'm a writer, a critic, and a trans guy. My pronouns are he, they. And I'm Ada Rhodes Short, an activist, academic engineer, and queer trans woman whose pronouns are she, her. This is Totally Trans, Searching for the Trans Canon, where we talk about some of the most well-known figures from film, literature, and media, and tell you why we think they deserve to be part of the trans cultural canon. This week, I'm going to tell you why Logan from the X-Men movies is totally trans. The X-Men have always been used to tell stories of oppression and persecution, but One of the things that makes Logan, a.k.a. Wolverine, feel especially trans is his relationship to his body, his past, and his trauma. So while a whole separate episode could be done on the obviously trans masculine comic book version of Wolverine, who stands at five foot three inches, who is incredibly hairy and whose clones are all girls— Today, we're going to focus on the version of Wolverine depicted in the X-Men films, specifically 2000's X-Men, 2003's X2, and 2017's fantastic movie, Logan. And we're going to be looking at him through a trans-feminine lens. When we first meet the Wolverine in the first X-Men film, he is fighting in a cage, making money by treating his body as disposable. The young runaway Rogue, who also feels very trans, spots him at the bar, and they have a moment of unspoken recognition. When some angry men confront Wolverine, he outs himself as a mutant by unsheathing his claws. Now, Logan's claws are the most visible element of his mutation, and by extension, his transness. He can choose to pass as a human most of the time, but when his claws are out, he is immediately clockable. 
Interestingly, they are also the thing that gives him strength within this violent, action-laden narrative, even though his real power is that he can heal from any injury nearly instantaneously, making him effectively unkillable. So after leaving the bar, Wolverine takes in the runaway rogue, and they reveal to each other that their names are Logan and Marie, in an exchange that feels incredibly trans. A lot of the first movie focuses on the traditional superhero tropes of introducing the superhero team and this plan to stop Magneto and the Brotherhood of Mutants to turn all humans into mutants or kill them in the process. Magneto is right, by the way. Force them, America. (laughs) Now, a lot of X2, so that's the second movie, focuses on Wolverine's attempt to uncover his past, which is mysterious to him due to brain damage related to medical experimentation and trauma that he endured as part of a shady military program. The plot of the movie is very complicated, but we have Wolverine protecting a bunch of children from government forces led by William Stryker. This is the guy who stripped away Wolverine's humanity in an attempt to make him a weapon, but instead left Wolverine with trauma and pain and an indestructible adamantium skeleton that is slowly poisoning him. In this movie, we also see Wolverine helps a closeted teen come out to his parents before going with the rest of the X-Men to this underground facility where his adamantium was placed in him, all his trauma happened, and there is this last-ditch effort by Stryker to eradicate all the mutants on Earth by abusing Stryker's explicitly trans child. Through community and found family, Wolverine reconnects to himself and his body, and in X2, he gets to unpack a little bit of his trauma and begin to emotionally heal. He becomes a symbol of overcoming your past and hurt and living out proud as an oppressed minority. And even within the fictional universe of the films, that story gets recorded in comic books that can inspire the masses. Now, in 2017's Logan, that life is long behind him. He no longer is the Wolverine, though... Through eugenics, this shady government-funded biotech company, no new mutants have been born. Charles Xavier, the the leader of the X-Men, had this bright vision for the future, which is now dead, and metaphorically, the Wolverine has detransitioned, and now he is just Logan. He rarely pops his claws, and when he does, they are slow to extend and painful. His healing factor, that instantaneous healing thing that makes him just almost invulnerable, is failing. And in addition to his physical wounds, he has stopped attempting to heal from his emotional wounds. And he has regressed to dissociation, bare survival, substance abuse, and suicidal ideation. The only thing keeping him alive is this sense of responsibility to care for Charles, whose mind is deteriorating, leading to dangerous psychic seizures. One of these psychic seizures killed all of the X-Men, except for Logan. Things change when Logan is introduced to Laura, who is his daughter in that he is her ancestor, but he wasn't involved in her conception. This queer form of parenthood also feels very trans. 
Laura has escaped from the shady company that eradicated the mutants, and it had been working to make their own mutant child soldiers. And by the time they're brought together, Laura has already been deeply traumatized by the violence she has survived and had to inflict on others. Logan reluctantly agrees to bring Laura to reunite with the other lab-grown mutant children as they're pursued by the cyborg reavers and the other Logan clone, X-24, who looks like Logan but is angrier and much less handsome. The contrast between Laura, a young girl, attempting to escape the cycle of violence and trauma, and X-24, who embodies this enthusiastic violence of toxic masculinity, personified. It's very representative of the struggle that's inside Logan. There is this potential future for Logan as a mother to this little girl who needs love and care, all while being pursued by his violent past, this perfected version of the weapon that they tried to make him. Logan sacrifices himself to save the mutant children and dies holding Laura's hand. It is fulfilling a vision of the future from a previous film of him dying, holding his own heart in his hand. And with one of his last dying breaths, tells Laura, don't be what they made you. Through his struggle and sacrifice, the next generation gets a chance. Laura can grow into a woman with a little less trauma and a little less hurt, something Logan never had a chance to do. So why read the movie version of Logan as trans-feminine? Well, to a degree, I am one of the co-hosts of this podcast, and I am obsessed with this headcanon, but it goes a little bit deeper than that. In both the comics and the movies, Logan has close role model relationships with wayward teen girls. In the comics, it's Kitty and Jubilee, and later Laura. But in the movies, it focused on Rogue, who can be read as trans herself. Trans women are often expected to perform reproductive labor in the form of supporting newly out trans people in the community and taking on a motherly role. And despite his apparent masculinity, Logan does that. But he's also representative of a specific relationship to violence and the military-industrial complex that feels unique to trans women. In the comics, Logan didn't choose to become Weapon X. But in X2, Stryker tells Wolverine that he volunteered for the procedure. It stripped him of his humanity, harmed him deeply, and made it so that he felt like he couldn't be anything but the thing they made him. A weapon, a soldier, a man. But all he got was trauma and regret. This is reflective of the experiences of a lot of trans women veterans, who were recruited by the U.S. military directly out of high school, experienced and performed violence within the system, and were left with nothing but trauma, scars, and regret. If you hang around any group of trans women, you're bound to find someone with this story, but very few have had the opportunity to talk about it. One of the people who have talked about this on the record is activist and a personal friend of Ada's, Paige Kreisman, who ran for city council alongside Ada's ex in Corvallis, and later went on to run for Portland State Senate. A 2019 interview with her in Teen Vogue by Tyler Wallacek described her experiences. In Paige's words, Being trans, my life experience gives me a good understanding of cis-heteropatriarchy and how that power structure is a system of oppressions. Imperialism isn't just invading countries and dropping bombs but it's also softer powers like exporting capital. After Trump was elected and announced his planned military ban in 2017, 
Page tore the flag off of her uniform in protest and peacefully refused to follow orders, explaining, It was getting heavy carrying it around on my right shoulder all of the time. Wallacek explains that Page was forced into the Army's mental health detainment unit shortly after, and after two months in confinement, she was lucky to avoid prosecution, but exited the military with an honorable discharge. But the experience of being trans and living through the system had changed her perspective, and she had come out determined to fight against U.S. imperialism and the evils of capitalism. Like Logan, Paige and a lot of trans veterans don't just carry around physical scars from their participation in state violence, but emotional ones too. They strive to heal from those experiences by loving and caring for their community and trying to protect the next generation. My friend Prenny Logue, another trans veteran, does this with her work at the Tenacious Unicorn Ranch in Colorado, raising alpacas and providing a safe community and home for trans people. I'll post a link to you info about Unicorn Ranch in the show notes. They are all heroes in the fight against oppression. Okay, so this question we normally start with is, what is your first exposure to the media? In this case, the X-Men in general, and then specifically, I guess, to the X-Men movies with Hugh Jackman. Um, Remington, what was your first experience with this? I mean, these were the the cartoons that were on, like, I think it was Fox. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I was born in the mid-80s, and so... Um, I think in the 90s, you know, there were all those, you know, it was the, the cartoons, you know, with X with Wolverine and the yellow leotard and, you know, Rogue where she could like fly um, Gambit with his like staff and his accent and like throwing the playing cards. Um, and then in uh, then when I was in high school, uh, the first Wolverine movie came out and I was just so I, my family was not like a super we didn't have a lot of media, like we didn't like own a lot of media. And so uh, the I owned two movies and one of them was X-Men. Um, and so I would just like watch Hugh Jackman. And like I was I was aware of my transness at that time. And I, I, shouldn't, I couldn't quite make sense of it. And I kept sort of looking at Hugh Jackman's character as like, this is what you should look like if you work hard. In other words, you've got this frame. I mean, my brother is like just short of six five, and so I was likely going to get somewhat, some you know, likely going to get kind of tall. And so I kept thinking, okay, well, if I work hard, then I can like you know, then I'll be like Wolverine, and then I'll feel better about life. And you know, you do the best with what you have. And so I think that's where you know the first movie hit. And then by the second movie, I was the same size as Hugh Jackman. I was a little, I weighed a little bit less. Um, but I remember get, getting the, like, uh, the men's health magazine with him, like on the cover, you know, he's just like jacked out of his mind. Um, and being like, okay, I'm going to like, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to eat a ton of food and I'm going to lift a bunch of iron and I'm going to look like Wolverine. And, you know, it, it's just been this complicated relationship with this like character. Um, cause he just like represents sort of like what my frame should be able to do if I put in enough work and enough like self disassociation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and also just and enough adamantine <laughs> uh, skeleton. Yeah, I mean, that's right. That's right. It's also a mutant. Talk and about like... unrealistic body expectations. <laughs> um, but then, you know, now, anyway, okay. So that's the answer to that question. Um, <laughs> What? Where else are we going? How about you, Ada Rose? Oh, how what was yeah. your experience with the X Men? So I was born in '91, so the X Men animated series was one of like the things I watched a lot when I was little. And Fox Kids, big fan. Uh, it, 
that along with like the Spider-Man cartoon that came out around the same time were the things that kind of introduced me to Marvel comics, um, which were my preferred comics for a lot of my childhood. Also, the Justice League run from the 90s and early 2000s was really good, but we don't need to talk about that right now. Yeah, I'm a huge comic book nerd, uh, and the X-Men really grabbed me. One of the first physical like paper comic books I owned was the collected Uncanny X-Men, which is the first appearance of Wolverine as an X-Men. He'd appeared in like a Hulk comic before then. I'm from Al- like rural Alberta, so I really relate to this weird gruff cowboy character from Alberta as a thing. Again, it's like the expectation of what I guess I should be. Like the comics version of Wolverine, I'm also not very tall. I'm like the tallest of my siblings at like 5'7". We are short, angry people. So I just always really loved it. The X-Men movies came out when I was younger. I remember actually visiting my grandparents in Canada and uh, my step-grandma reading me the novelization of (laughs) X Men book as like a as the of X Men as like a bedtime story because I would have been like nine and that was a lot of fun and then just being a nerd seeing all the movies and getting nerdier and queerer as I became a teen and slowly moving from the like the X Men are good and and they do good things to uh, very much on the Magneto was right side of things is like maybe we should. Maybe let's let's think about this. Maybe we should force, force them America. America. That's my new political stance. Maybe we should do it. Um, it hasn't been tried it yet. Hasn't been tried. It could be the solution. Um, what what we have we got lose? to lose? Um, so I'm, I don't know. I'm just a huge X Men fan to the point where I don't even know where to start on this. I guess I just love it. Um, trans Wolverine as an idea is also something I've always been really obsessed with, especially once they introduced. Laura, who was first introduced in, like, the X-Men Evolution cartoon. And it's like, wait, why is Wolverine's clone a girl? (laughs) And was a big, like, what is going on here moment when I was a kiddo. And then she got pulled into the comics. And uh, Tom Taylor's all-new Wolverine is, like, one of my favorite comic book runs of all time, where Laura takes on the mantle of Wolverine. And then she's, like, helping raise Gabby, who is, like, a clone of Laura, but more like a sister than a child and... It's just complicated and beautiful. And I love Wolverine as like a character who's constantly trying to heal from trauma and especially the trauma related to like participating in violence. And I think it's so cool that he can like heal from his physical wounds, but it's like his emotional wounds still stick with him all the same. And I think that's just like beautiful. So that's my Wolverine context. Uh, Henry, nice. where are you at? <laughs> As usual, my context <laughs> begins and ends this week. <laughs> I literally have never seen any of the movies, never read the comics or seen any cartoon iteration simply because I'm pretty much out of the the comics superhero world. Like when I was in I think middle school, the I remember like the Spider-Man movies coming out, and I was like, "Okay, this is maybe interesting." But then like all the movies that have a large number of superheroes where you have to kind of keep track of them, I get very confused. <laughs> I found um, the both films very confusing visually just because I think I'm not used to watching like movies that are, yeah, that have like those conventions. And also there's a lot going on. There are a lot of characters 
And I think sometimes with those movies, they're written, obviously, like with fans in mind, as they should be. And I think for that reason, often, like I co go into it and I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm supposed to know a lot of things about how this world is structured and how everyone's bodies work. But like, I don't. So I'm sort of just guessing at what's happening. But I was I was impressed, especially by Logan. As you wrote in the script, it's such a perfect meta. It can be a metaphor for like transness or racism or immigration rights or disability slash hyper ability. Like across the board, it makes sense for like all the battles we're fighting right now. And it's very weird to watch, especially the first two films are like about what's happening. Right, Like, I mean, we'll get into it. But like when I saw those, th like the signs that were like humans rights or whatever, it's, I'm like, oh, it's just like those protect girls sports assholes. Like it's the same exact like absurd thing so that really struck me i was like oh damn like this is deep yeah well and one thing that's always been amazing about the x-men is the mutant metaphor is it's a great way to explore social issues and particularly with the these x-men films because of the involvement of brian singer who is a complicated person google him if you want to know why he's complicated <sighs> i don't think we'll talk about it in this because <sighs> that's we i don't want to it's a whole kettle yeah, of fish but, um but he really focused it more through a queer lens of looking at it as like oppression of queer folks. And that really comes through in a lot of the ways that the rhetoric and it plays out in the movies around mm -hmm. coming out and passing privilege of some of the mutants, especially with like Mystique and Nightcrawler. But there's limits to that, right? And we talked about this with Jay. If mm -hmm. you go back and listen to the Jay edited yep. bonus episode, we asked him about writing an X-Men story and all of that. But there's issues when you try and tell a story about oppression through metaphor because you lose the actual thread of the thing. Because, like, I don't know about y'all's experiences with coming out and just being a queer kid and stuff, but, like, I didn't get laser eyes or wings or claws. I was... <laughs> I just had the shit kicked out of me. <laughs> and... What makes the X-Men really empowering as a metaphor is that you can look at them and be like, they're oppressed, but they're able to fight against their oppression. But what makes them fall short is that they're like able to actually physically fight against their oppression. Yeah. What are your two thoughts on the way the mutant metaphor is used in in these films? I mean, I think I think for me, I, it's interesting. I mean, this was my first time to watch any of these movies post coming out. So I've been out for five, six years. And so this was my first time to sort of like re well, I guess I watched Logan after after I had come out and it wrecked me then and it wrecked me again this time because it is just, oh, God, it's just everything um, I could do without the hyper violence. But also it does. It is. There's something about it that does something. Yeah. But I think, you know, the mutant metaphor, I think, really hits watching it again now through the lens of like an adult who's been I mean, I've been you know, advocating for trans rights at our at the Texas Capitol and like, you know, really trying to put myself out there in other ways. And I mean, looking at it now and like, you know, in the first movie, we have some like pretty explicit scenes of politics, you know, where we see sort of like, you know, uh, a, a political leader sort of like leading the charge against like, you know, mutants and the way it's dehumanizing and the way it throws up all these straw men arguments is, I mean, that's what we've been doing with all of these anti-trans bills is it's just all of this bullshit fake 
bad faith arguments. Um, and, mm-hmm. y- you know, I, I think, where's the mutant metaphor breakdown? I mean, yeah, I mean, they're mutants and it's make-believe and all that. I have a different experience with sort of coming out where, for me, I mean, I was working in a hospital, seeing patients, you know, in a suit and tie, looking charming and, and like, GQ-esque. And then, you know, I had breast augmentation and I came to work in a dress. And that was it. You know, and I saw some of the same patients literally the week after. And... You know, what I found was actually I was more effective as a chaplain, as a trans woman than I was prior. Um, and that's because folks were much readily, more readily able to be intimate and comfortable with me as opposed to sort of this. Usually I would have to do like a five to 20 minute like, you know, is this is this uh, this like dude in a suit safe? And like I never had to do that once I looked explicitly trans. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I really love that because I think one of the things these films made me think about was, for me at least, like, it began when I first came out, I thought of my transness as something to apologize for. I thought of it as a hindrance. I thought it canceled out any future I might have because obviously that's the messaging that we get. And like, you know, when when we were all kids, like, we weren't seeing, like, Laverne Cox and Jen Richards, like, doing cool shit. We were just like, well, I probably don't exist then because I don't see anybody. And then as I sort of got older, I stopped apologizing and then wasn't really, like, engaging with it or dealing with active self-hatred as much. But then recently, I think of being trans as, like, a superpower. Like, I genuinely... I think of being trans as a superpower. I think of being autistic as a superpower. Because, like, at first, it makes... All you can see is how hard it makes your life. And then, hopefully, as you grow up and as you come into your own and as you were explaining Remington, like, when you find yourself in a place where you're like, this is where I'm meant to be, you're like... It is transness that got me here in a certain way. It is the way that I adapted to the world. And it's the way that I, the ways in which I was different that allowed me to like have this life that I have now. So the metaphor hit me very hard in that sense. But yeah, also it's like, can any of us get out of dangerous situations by shapeshifting? No. Like, can we really escape that kind of violence? Not really. Can we escape the legislative violence? We can't fight the one bad guy and then be done, which I think is the sad part of it. And one thing that always... One thing that kind of pushed me more to relate to the brotherhood of mutants and sort of villains in general throughout, like, high school and college, and now I'm, like, full on board with the current X-Men just because, like, Kitty Pride is a queer pirate saving people from oppressive governments and it's the best shit that's ever happened to me but i feel like being an outsider i draw a different strength from like i wouldn't have done all of the cool shit i did in college if i didn't go to a school where being me was against the rules and i like being visibly queer because it like lets other people feel safe just being themselves a little bit more which is something i hear like, well, one, Remington really reflected on uh, what she said, but it's something I literally get told by my students all the time is they feel like, oh, you made me feel like I actually belonged in engineering or tech or design because before I'd never had a professor that looked like you. And even if they don't look anything like me, the fact that 
they saw someone that didn't look like anyone else gave them permission to be them. And I think that's really amazing. And also, you're already on the outside anyway. Burn it all down. Is the other powerful thing. Charlie agrees. He says burn it the fuck down. Probably, I don't know. I've gotten, yeah. And Remington agrees. Commit arson. That's a legal <laughs> whoa, agreement. Whoa, 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 yeah, whoa, whoa. That's the plan. Arson. No, yeah. uh, don't commit arson, uh, which we're saying both for legal reasons and actually don't commit arson. It just makes you a dick. Do graffiti instead. It's pretty. Yeah. Can on the subject of arson, though? Let's move away from arson. <laughs> Yeah. So I mean, graffiti is pretty. You know, I would like to someday take some of these politicians' jobs. So, like, you know, you know, look, yes. you know, there's some hyperbole <laughs> happening here. You know, yeah, we don't want to. You know, we just want to like celebrate who we are, but also sort of reflect that. It, it. I think there's that. I think being on the outside. I think this is what I think the X Men movies do really well, especially with the Brotherhood, is they show that sort of like when you are pushed and sort of pushed out that you can, you know, you can take pride in who you are. So we, the brotherhood is like, I mean, I think of that, that scene, Ada Rose, you, you made some notes about it where they're in X2, Magneto and Mystique are sitting in the back of the, the X plane and they're just looking super queer and super cool like the bad kids on the bus. And I, I think there's, there's something really beautiful about that. And I think, you know, there's there's a place of taking pride in that. But I also really resonate with that feeling of sort of righteous anger where you're sort of like you want you want a world where i don't exist and that is violence and like when someone raises violence against you you know a very natural reaction is to want to sort of like defend yourself you know, like what you guys said, with arson um, or something like that. So, like, we're not Don't condoning arson. with arson, though. <laughs> we are not endorsing arson. Um, Unless you're the, the flame dude who can shoot yeah, flames if you have his magic hands, powers it's, it's to fine. commit arson, you can use your yes. magic arson powers, but not with our permission. That. We just can't stop you because no. you have magic fire powers. Remington, oh you were saying. No. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... <laughs> I I I think God I I think this is this is what's so hard about I think talking about like these mutant movies and then also reflecting on them sort of like in the real world because we talked about how violent Logan was and you know that sort of violence you know physical violence like that is not something we want to do right it's not okay yeah. it's it, it it won't make the world a better place but. I mean, I know when I have been sitting in these rooms with these legislators as they have said terrible dehumanizing things about trans children and trans adults that I have just wanted to hug them tighter and tighter and tighter because it just makes me so angry because it's it's just so mean. I mean, a few years back, I ended up um, uh, wrestling a drugged out naked dude in the woods and it reminds me of sort of these legislators where I, I was at a music concert and I was a bystander stepping in to try to keep this guy from hurting others because he was like, he was going to harm others. He'd made all the scenes and I, I'm a certified de-escalator and I'm a big woman. Um, and so I went in to use my words and ended up, it was just him and me like alone in the darkness. And he wanted to disappear into the darkness and I wasn't going to let him. I was going to get him to the paramedics. And so he and I began to sort of like wrestle 
And, you know, I ended up getting, you know, assaulted pretty significantly. And, you know, I remember talking with the police afterwards and I was like, God, you know, what makes me feel so uncomfortable about this is I want to hurt him. Like, I want to physically hurt him. And I wish I would have just put him in the dirt, you know, but instead I didn't. And I got him to safety and I got him to the, you know, to the ER and they, you know, got him help. And I mean, then I filed a police report and he, you know, was guilty and all that. But but I think that feeling of like wanting him to hurt and wanting to hurt him is something that I, I really sort of like resonate with when it comes to sort of the X-Men. And you, you see like in in Logan and one of the opening scenes, he is like getting beaten and kicked on the side of the road by people trying to steal his car. And he eventually just like gets up and like kills them all. And you're like, well, I don't think that like an uh, execution matches, you know, the beating you were getting. But at the same time, you, they like, did shoot him with a shotgun. Admittedly, oh, but that's right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> yes. But still, but also he went to murder real fast. And also. <laughs> I love that before do the thing he does before doing that is like he's on the ground and he goes like and then he, I love that before Wolverine like hulks out he has to be like like and like make that very specific noise and then just kill a bunch of people. Hi lovelies. So, as you know, we have a merch store on T Public which is linked to you in the show notes. Currently, our best-selling shirt on there is our The X-Men shirt. That is X-Men spelled E-X. We also have a The T-Men shirt for all the trans mask people out there, both of which are available as pins and mugs and various other things as well. Also, new this week is a Force Femme America design inspired by our discussion this episode. So go check that all out, buy it, and continue to support the podcast. Some other people supporting the podcast by backing us on Patreon include Katie Schmid. You are the real superhero here, so thank you so much. And thank you, Jay Irwin. Please sit on the back of the jet with Henry and I and be cool and queer. And thank you, Joanna Ellis. You have the power to take my breath away. Watching these movies actually put me in mind of Zootopia because there is this feeling, (laughs) stay with me, there is this sense of like, especially with the trans legislation, like it's always good to turn the other cheek and it's important for like, you know, a society to do that. But it's also like, you know that the minute you try to meet violence with violence, people will use it to make these like essentialist views and like double down on their own thing kind of like how in Zootopia there's this like plot to prove that like predators are genetically created to be predators and I feel like X-Men sort of has this thing where like everyone's scared of the mutants but they don't have a bad track record really like they're doing okay shit for the most part so like but the minute any kind of violence happens that they don't like It's like, oh, the mutants are evil. And we see that with trans people all the time. Like, we can't slip up at all. You're you're seen as a whole instead of individuals, right? It's, it's, as I said, you know, it's it's the same, you know. Yeah. 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 It's the thing that happens to all minorities. Something else as I Mm -hmm. had to, I experienced and had to participate in a lot of violence as a kiddo to not experience more violence 
and had to get in a lot of like fights for self defense. And one thing that really always resonates with me about Wolverine and Logan as a character, all of the Wolverines, because there's now multiple generations of Wolverines, is that they carry the weight of the violence with them. And it's a struggle to like not do the violence. And of course, it's like a comic book world. So their bar for what's considered violence is low. Like, like uh, Laura Kenny eventually is like, well, I won't murder anyone anymore. That's my bar of, of like nonviolence. <laughs> and that's considered pacifism in this context. The still stabbing people and cutting off their limbs is not chill normally. Don't don't do any violence because you end up carrying those scars with you. And those are ones you can't easily heal from, I guess. Segwaying to another question, specifically for Remington. Hi. Uh, how can people... <laughs> I'm sorry, now we're all cracking up because we all know what the question is. And it's a very heavy question. Uh, and we're all just giggly bigglies. Um, but how can people heal and move on from violence and trauma of survival so that we can love ourselves and care for the next generation? Yeah, I mean, this is where I I, I wanted to give sort of like a disclaimer or, or sort of like couch the whole conversation we're having today, which is that I think, you know, the trans experience, like a lot of other minority experiences, can have a lot of trauma in it. Um, and the X-Men movies and specifically Wolverine's story has a lot of trauma in it. I mean, I have felt wrecked preparing for this um, because it just brings so much stuff up. I mean, you know, like, like, you know, that assault from that one dude in the woods, not fun. Zero out of 10 would not recommend. Um, and so, you know, when we think about how folks heal, I mean, there's been a lot of study on grit and resilience. Um, it's sort of like, you know, we had Brene Brown and her stuff with shame, and then she moved to like resilience. And it's sort of like a, um, you know, it's it's a super, it's gotten into pop culture. And I think a lot of, it, it loses some of its depth and nuance and stuff. I think Brene Brown does a great job of like painting the nuance and depth. But I think sometimes on like an Instagram feed where you, where your friend who's now going to be, you know, a life coach is telling you about like trauma recovery, you know, look, I am all here for the hustle. And like, also sometimes like it lacks some of that depth that you just can't do in a 60 second video. So Oh, God. I mean, God, that sounded so gatekeeping and like bougie. Fuck. Okay. So like, look, you want to be a, you want to be a life coach. I fully support that. Let me get back to this. Um, I have some wonderful friends who are doing that work and I don't want them to think I'm like throwing them shade. It's just like this, this like trauma stuff makes me like emotional. Understandably. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Makes sense. So how, how do we heal? Well, I, I think for me, so so my father comes from a tremendous amount of trauma and still has near nightly um, nightmares of the trauma that he experienced as a child. And, you know, I look at the trauma that he has and he and I had, a, had have had a, a couple of really poignant conversations where he shared that, like, my childhood and my life looks tangibly different than his. And, you know... I never questioned that my parents loved me. I never questioned that my parents would like raise a hand to hurt me or that I would have enough food to eat or that the world would be. I mean, the world has always been just this delightful place where people always tell me they like me. I mean, that's, God, if we could all be so lucky. Um, but, you know, I've watched his trauma and for him, it has been this struggle to say, I'm going to do what I can 
and just try not to do other harm. So for him, he was like, you know, I just want to raise kids that are not as traumatized as me. And like, are there fathers that could do a better job? Sure, they absolutely could. But he did a phenomenal job with the stuff that he has. And I think for myself, with the trauma that I have, and now as a parent, you know, and what I do in the world, a lot of the work I do is just like being aware of my own shit and trying to be very cognizant about not passing that on. And, you know, I think about, you know, after I had that assault, I remember, you know, just reeling and being extremely sort of like all over the place emotionally. And had I not had very good therapists and a very good support network, I likely could have passed that harm on to others because it was extremely destabilizing. And all I wanted to do was feel safe. And I wanted to feel good about my body and nothing felt good and nothing felt safe. And so for me, I I grabbed one of my favorite bikinis and my high heels, and I entered myself into a, a bikini competition at a local bar. And I danced and I won a trophy. And it is like one of the highlights of my life because, you know, this was two weeks after being assaulted. And so what did I do with that trauma? I'm going to go and do something that is scary and reminds me that I am courageous and that I have a life worth living and that people find me adorable. And it was really meaningful to me. And it really, it didn't fix the trauma, right? But it helped me reset. And so, you know, it's not that we all have to go do an exhibitionist like dance party at the local bar. But we could. We all should, though. If that's, <laughs> if that's what we want to do with our trauma, goodness gracious, I highly recommend. I mean, I got a little trophy and I look at it and I'm like, hey, look at you. You're a resilient little bitch, aren't you? Um, <laughs> but so I think. I think really it's about being cognizant of it. And, and so, so I, I don't want to sort of belabor the points here, but I think that's where to, to tie it back to these movies, we see that for the way trauma is dealt with is that there is some sort of reckoning with it. There's some sort of looking at the past and saying like, look, these things happened. And, you know, what we learned from what we learned after 9-11 was that. I mean, this was somewhat known, but it was way more known after 9-11 because there was so much trauma was that focusing on the actual events of the trauma is never helpful. Our minds are too good at telling the story and we actually re-traumatize ourselves. So if we just focus on the actual like telling of all, you know, all the adjectives, all the verbs and really, really, we're, we can smell the dirt or whatever. That's not helpful to anybody's trauma. What is helpful is talking about what we did during and after the trauma. So you're focusing on your personal agency. And so I think in these movies and in personally, right, what works really well for folks after trauma is to focus on the fact that they have agency and they did something. They stayed alive. They took action, you know, you know, and, and they keep moving. And so I think, I think that's a big piece. You just, you just focus that you, that you have some sort of power and some sort of decisions to do something. And I think that ability to see that there's movement and hope, you get to push back on this despair. So anyway, that is a lot of words. Um, that's a lot, but <laughs> very good. That's excellent yeah. advice, though. That like, yeah, that's completely true. It's, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Great is the wrong word. That's well spoken. That's and why well said. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to speak in like like two sentence bursts from here on out. No, that's we <laughs> no, are having please, you here so that expand. you do all yes. of the talking. Yes. And then we 
don't. So that's Yeah. Think of this as your pulpit. <laughs> We're like preaching the X-Men, the gospel of X-Men, trans female X-Men. But I wanted to ask y'all what you thought of the fact that like there are some X-Men like Mystique where they can pass, they can be stealth. And there's like that one moment where I forget who I think Alan Cumming asks Mystique, like, oh, you can take on anybody. Like, why don't you just do that? And she's like, I shouldn't have to. Uh, yeah, it is. It's Nightcrawler who like cannot. I mean, he is a giant blue dude with three fingers and a tail. So, OK, OK. So it is a giant blue dude with three fingers and a tail asking Mystique who can turn into anybody and be unclockable. I just love that moment. Yeah, I love that too. And also that that's just like my general ethos is like, I want to be visibly queer because I shouldn't have to fit into this world that I feel like hasn't made space for me. And I tried, honestly, I tried the respectability game and to like have a a normal looking haircut and my tattoos not be super visible. And it turns out you don't, you can get a seat, seat on the table that way. But they don't actually listen to you at the table. Yeah. Respectability politics don't work. But if you be visible and queer and own that power in your queerness and be hot as hell, as all of our listeners are, as they know, you are all very hot, then it doesn't matter because your power comes from outside of the table. You don't need a seat. You cultivate your own power. You cultivate your own communities. You generate like strength in other people just by being you. And that's what I think is so cool about Mystique. And they do more with her in the other movies that I don't think Henry got to watch, where when they went back to do like these prequels, they were like, oh, we're just going to center a lot of it on Mystique. And it's just awesome. Mystique's also a cool character. She's like explicitly queer in the comics, but not in the movies, which is weird. She, as far as I know, only has like male partners versus she's like married to a woman in the comics named destiny and is also like rogue's mother which is complicated or rogue's parent because pronouns get complicated with mystique mystique's dope as fuck but there is that moment in i think x2 where they're in the bathroom and the dude is like i've never hooked up with a girl like you before i was like that is so explicitly trans yeah like it's insane and rebecca romaine played a trans woman on ugly betty way the fuck long ago so i was like wow i feel like this is intentional actually like within this movie if not the broader story i was just like what because like what is he and yeah then the moment in the plane where they're just like being the gay kids yeah mystique feels very trans i mean they all are yeah i mean i like i ate it roads like i totally want to get there with like the like you know, just being myself. And at the same time, like if I had $30,000, like I would do my face. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be the hottest, prettiest version of yourself. That doesn't mean you're not out and proud by trying to look like what makes you feel beautiful. Yeah. It's the shame factor, I think. Yeah, I guess it's the, yes, the feeling of, of shame. I mean, I think that's where like, I mean, I have felt like I have asked Nightcrawler's question of like, very like what i would say like unclockable like trans women before because like i wasn't able to do hormone therapy for the first three years of my transition and so the thing that was like making my life work was like going to the gym five days out of the week and so i actually was like 
bigger than Hugh Jackman in the first X-Men movie by the time I started horror, like, like at the middle of like three years into my transition. And I was just like, I was, I was a beast. <laughs> and I remember sort of like, part of that was me sort of just like leaning into the fact that it was like, you know what? My body is able to build muscle in this way. And it feels good to be this like giant of a woman. And like, I'm just going to like celebrate that and lean hard into it. And at the same time, I mean, this is where sort of I really lean into like Wolverine sort of like, sometimes he's like really feeling his power. And then sometimes you can see he's just sort of like wishes he wasn't the way he is. And I think like I really reflected in that because I remember, you know, sometimes I would just be like, yes, I mean, I guess I got this testosterone and I got a body that like, I love to work hard. Let's like do this thing. And then sometimes, you know, you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, God, I am huge. <laughs> and like, I really wish I could just disappear into a crowd and like knowing that you can't. And like more than that, it's also like the impact on all those who are connected to you. You know, it's like, God, you, like you love for like people to be able to go out in public with you without like being like this like lightning rod of like whatever it is you are. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that was a big anxiety and a big thing I had to deal with a lot when I was early in transition. And there's also this thing that like, I feel like I just got over a couple years ago where I would be anxious being around trans women that I felt like didn't pass as well, because I was afraid that like, it would make me more clockable and more subjected to violence, which part of that is like, I had to do RLE, which is like real life experience before getting on hormones and I was in a really bad relationship at the time. And like my early transition was not a fun time. It was largely just like going to the mall with a boy who didn't want me to be a girl and a guy calling me a tranny and him being like, everyone's staring at you. And that was really not fun. And I think for years I tried to really avoid that, especially during a period of my life where I was like trying to like spending like 45 minutes on my makeup every day and trying to have my body shaped the way I wanted and meet this expectation that I don't think there's anything wrong with meeting, but was unhealthy for me at the time to try and meet just because it was rejecting me and not loving me. And then at some point, something just snapped and I stopped wanting to, I stopped wanting to have to fit in. And part of this, well, actually, I know when it was, is when I got my PhD, <laughs> I stopped being like, oh yeah, I don't need anyone else's validation. I got the one piece of validation I really needed. And now I have a PhD <laughs> and I can just wear whatever the fuck I want at any time. And people can be like, you look ridiculous and be like, yeah, but I'm Dr. Ridiculous. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> fuck you. I am a doctor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my PhD is my superpower just because it gave me super confidence. And I started dressing queerer at work, wearing more ridiculous shirts and shoes and showing more of my body and... I don't think everyone should have to do that. And in the same way, I don't think the X-Men or the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants' goal is for every mutant to live the way they do. It's for 
all of the other trans folks to be able to just live the life they want to live. I will be as visible as physically possible and as loud as physically possible and take as much negative attention as I can. Because at the end of the day, I made it through the hard part of my life. And from now on, it's all just like smooth sailing and nice jobs. And yeah, academia is hard, but my life is kind of set. Like, I don't have to struggle. I won't be homeless again. I won't presumably be in a lot of situations where violence seems imminent again. So I can make the world better just by trying to be more me and being like, it's okay and safe to be you here. And that's, Mm. that's why I do it. That's why I have a big, very queer tattoo on my thigh and a jacket with protect trans kids on the back and a ridiculous shirt that says the X-Men spelt EX right now. It's a crop top and it's very cute. Buy it on totally trans merch. Yeah, buy your merch. But on that note, yeah, what what happens when like we personally are now all at this point where we've sort of like we're past the early rocky stages of transition and we're more in a place where we can love ourselves and so many of these movies which i found very interesting is like it's not just about the x-men it's about these mutant kids who are victimized who are on the front lines who are bearing the brunt of this violence and so much of it especially logan is like i don't want the next generation to go through what i went through like that's the big theme and it's like there was one line about somebody like i don't want to see like a mutant kid on the six o'clock news like talking about like the bodies of mutant children the way that like the bodies of trans children are discussed like on the news and the way they've been made to be this focal point of like oh we must save the children when really you're harming them yeah so so how do you two you kind of answered this question before i ask it even I guess, Remington, how do you see Wolverine's fight specifically to protect trans kids as representative of the trans experience in this moment? I mean, I think it's it's that, like, mama bear, like... I, I, I mean, I think... The deal is, like, he doesn't seek these kids out, right? He just comes across them. So, like, Rogue just shows up and, you know, and he's like, all right, I guess, you know, he tries to leave her in the middle of, like, the Alaskan, like, wilderness. And then, like, thinks in, like, like his initial, it, it's sort of this, like, back and forth of, like, ugh, okay, I'm going to save you. And, like, in X2, he's left alone with all of this, the mutant school kids. And I think Ada Rose, you wrote, like, you know, save the baby, save my babies. And he's, like, running around, like... <laughs> The school, like, like, you know, stabbing the enemies and, like, trying to, like, gather all his little, like, chickadees up so they can, like, survive. I, I think, you know, you see him embodying this protector, which feels so natural for him. In a lot of other places, you see him, like, really struggling to decide what to do. And when it comes to protecting these kids, there's not a single hesitation. He just does it and he cares for them. And I mean, that has felt very similar to like, I don't want to go to these rallies to, to like put myself out there and to like, like, I don't want to go and sit with all these legislators and I don't, I don't want to do it. It's hard, but like, 
I look at these kids and, and like, it's just like, I have a kid and it's like, you know, you do it and you, you feel that sort of like power and that rage. And you're like, you know, I remember thinking like, I am really good with words and I am charming as fuck. And so like, I'm going to go and I'm going to testify as many times as I can. I'm going to speak as many times as I can, because like, this is my like mutant superpower. And I'm going to like, turn this toxic Christianity that they use, and I'm going to hold a mirror up. And I'm going to speak the same way they speak about us. And I'm going to speak about them. In this like, <laughs> this like, um, this last rally I spoke at, like I talked about like, the legislators just being so confused. They're just confused about who they're supposed to be. And it was just sort of like, God, I just, I don't know. I'm like, I'm like in a fog of anger at the moment um, because it just like, God, it's just that you just sense that feeling of, of wanting to protect. So I'm going to pause yeah. and let you guys talk. And then I'm going to circle back around with a link to a Jewish philosopher. So you guys Great. do some chitter chat and then I'm going to circle we back love- around. We love Jewish philosophers oh. on this podcast. We did we basically do. a whole yes. episode. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, for for me, I think attacks on trans kids right now are just one particularly egregious because they're kids and they shouldn't have to defend themselves. And it's it's just it's just fucked. The other part of it that I think is wild is like. I feel like the attacks on trans kids, while morally more egregious than attacking trans adults, are also, like, just dumb. Because, like, they're cute kids. Like, why why are you attacking our, <laughs> right. our kids and trying to make them look like monsters if you're not just trying to harm them? You're not going to successfully do that. They're adorable. That's their superpower. And yet, like... As we've seen in the past, however long, like an interesting thing about Logan is it's 2017 and it seems directly to be talking about like what like the kids in cages and all the shit that went down. And also like, yeah, like there's always like kids are the sacrificial things. And like we see the pictures of them on the New York Times and like it pulls at our heartstrings, but like they're still the ones that get shit on i think because there's that weird interaction of like we know that this class of people is completely like they're victims and like they can't really do a lot to help themselves so it's up to us to either help them or hurt them and because we have this weird idea of like we must protect children it gets misused by these assholes who are like this is how i protect kids and it's like no just stay out of their fucking life like and again, like every movie we've talked about, it's like, this is a, a pair of, this is like a cautionary tale for parents. Like, just let your kids fucking be trans. <laughs> like, it's as simple as that. Well, and what's great with the X-Men as allegory for, for the fight for like trans liberation and trans lives is you can argue Charles Xavier isn't maybe effective. You can argue Magneto is too extreme. But you can't fucking argue that Senator Kelly isn't an asshole. And you can't fucking argue that these people attacking mm-hmm. trans kids aren't the villains. I don't understand how they can go to bed at night knowing, like, today I made a kid cry. And... Because they, they don't think they're humans. They, they exactly. don't see that. They literally see them but as it's just mutants. like, how do you not like, know you're the fucking villain in your own story? Seriously. When 
Yeah. Remington, I, I, hi. But, 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 but that's what un... <sighs> that's what trauma does. So, I mean, I, like... It's not that like all of these like these legislators and political leaders like are traumatized creatures, traumatized people. So I don't want to dehumanize them, traumatized people. But I don't think it's trauma, though. It's privilege and trying to maintain that privilege by punching down. It's them trying to like hold on to we're in te- we're both so Remington and I are both in Texas. There's all these horrible things that have happened this year. Our energy infrastructure is fucked everything's terrible nothing has been done about covid they're just attacking these kids to hold on to their power and they're using them as like a sacrificial lamb this is me being we're gonna we need to someone else needs to talk because now i'm just angry and you're just gonna get angry i have a question though (laughs) on this subject i have a question um for both of you if someone let's say if ted cruz pulled a robert kelly and tomorrow was like, guys, I was wrong. I was fucked up about this. I was fucked up about all of it. How would would we believe him? What would we think? Like if someone who's so evil turned around and then just did a total 180, what would be our response to that? Like, I mean, in Senator Kelly's case, he was literally just mystique when he stopped being an asshole. So I would assume a shapeshifter. Oh, fuck. Is that yeah. what happened? Yeah, I'd Damn assume it. a shapeshifter had replaced <laughs> Ted Cruz. But I was like, I wouldn't believe that politician if that happened. Like, I would be like, something's afoot. Like, I don't know if I would fully trust. Because, like, we don't ever see those reversals. Like, the whole thing about these assholes is, like, they live until the age of 116, always. And, like, they believe in this bullshit until their dying day. I don't know if it's just because they're completely, like, in their own little box of conservative bullshit or what. But, like... they think they're going to get more power by attacking these kids. They think they're going to get more control over education. They're going to get more control over medical care. They're going to get more control over criminal justice by attacking these kids. The thing that always pisses me off whenever anti-trans bills come up is they're never actually... The people attacking us, I feel like, never actually give a fuck about trans people. They don't care if we do any of these things at all. They're just using us as like a pawn in a game at the end of the day. And then when the game plays out, they stop paying attention to us for five years and we go back to our lives as they were until the next dumb thing, be it passports, bathrooms, kids playing sports, birth certificates, what, what, whatever. I don't think they earnestly care how we live our lives. I think it's... Anywho, Remington, yep. hi. <laughs> It's a real real feel-good time today. I'm glad everyone's like chiming in for your like morning drive. Feeling good before you get to the workplace. Uh, A little trans trauma. Feeling optimistic. Yeah, Yeah, welcome. Um, Okay, so yes, these politicians, not great. We don't appreciate them. Like I want to put a little nuance on that because I like nuance and I think it's helpful because... I have been testifying on other non-trans bills during other legislative sessions and have a number of friends who work in these areas. And the deal is these folks just don't seem interested about ever changing their position. And so I think, you know, it's particularly egregious and harmful when it's around trans folks. But, you know, we see it around the voting rights bills. Um, we see it around abortion. We see it around 
you know, religious liberty bullshit. I mean, I, I can't think of a single time. I mean, every time I've gone up there, all I've like, I've just pleaded with like, hey, what would it be like to hear information that doesn't match your own information and then maybe change your initial position a tiny bit? Like, who knows? Keep the same bill, but like add in a little bit of something, something to like make it a little tiny bit better. And it never happens. And I think it's because it's just it's it, I think it's I think it's the way that I think it's the, the structure of way the political system works and the way these guys have to hold on to power. I think it is fear. Um, and I also I, I, I also wonder if they have the actual capacity to be curious with information that like may cause you know so if these are fundamentalist people which i really think they are and fundamentalists come in all shapes and forms both christian and atheist and everything in between and but the thing that characterizes fundamentalist thought is a rigidity of belief and the rigidity of belief is such that if they they feel like if any of their core beliefs were questioned the whole house of cards would come tumbling down. Now, we know that that's not actually how structures of belief work. It's more like a spider web where you can lose one of the, the pieces of the web and like everything still holds together. We're like fantastically incoherent creatures, non-congruent like creatures. Um, but I think there's this like fear that if I don't hold on to every single aspect of my like core closely held beliefs, then like the whole thing comes falling. I mean, I think it's just like fear. But I don't know if that's like too paternalistic or like, you know, too like ivory tower of like what I'm thinking of them. But I think it's just like a very like loving thing. I mean, I've been with I've been with a ton of people in intense crisis and death. And the deal is that like, you know, there are some people that will meter their position, but it's very rare for someone to like totally pivot. And so like, God, I just I would just like these folks to be like. God, you know, maybe like this would hurt some people. So like, what if we like, I don't know, made it a little less terrible, but like that doesn't, that doesn't even, like there's not even that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the people who think that Biden has been dead since uh, December. <laughs> They're convinced like they, the people <laughs> who like believe in Trump, the people who like QAnon still folks? think that Trump is president. Yeah. I, yeah, like, and, like, people's moms on TikTok were like, yeah, Biden's been dead since October. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter how insane it sounds. Yeah. Like, there's, because it's cult worship, they would rather believe that than the reality. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, I'm gonna, I want to move us on because there's a couple more things I want to talk about before we wrap up. And we've, I think, now recorded an hour-ish of podcast in addition to the bonus stuff. So there's two kiddos I want to talk about specifically. One is Stryker's child, uh, Jason, who appears in two ways in the mental image Jason projects into other people's minds as a little girl. And then as an adult man in a wheelchair. And then also Laura, who is the, in the comics, Laura's, the clone of Logan, that is a girl for complicated reasons, but it's just like, oh, it's a clone of Logan. That's a girl. Girl Logan, which I always love when there's cross-gender clones of characters because it's just fodder for trans headcanons. And the movie is it's a complicated thing where I think they somehow got Logan's mangoo and then put it inside some girl. I'm confused. They're very vague about it, which is probably for the best. 
It's vaguely implied that Charles Xavier sold Logan's Mangu to this bad company, which would really match up with the comics book version of him. But um, as a bad man. So what did you two think about these two depictions of like trans children and the paths that they're set on by their parents? In Jason's case, Stryker, but then also Charles Xavier as like an educator. And then in Laura's case, the evil company and then Logan. Oh God. I mean, the, the, what, what was Stryker's child called? Jason. Jason. I mean, so let's paint some more pictures for the listeners here. So this is like, uh, dad of Jason, uh, sends him away to be cured of his like mutant stuff. Um, he's not able to be cured cause he's just like hella queer. Or yellow mutant, whatever. He's got some, like, very strong gifts. Um, So dad picks him up and then cuts out a chunk of his brain so that, like, he essentially can be used for whatever, like, dad wants him to be. And so it, like... It 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 debilit it makes him debilitated, and it, like that's what puts him in the wheelchair, and like you know he can't really move anything, and like it makes him so he just like listens to whatever his dad whispers in his ear. So it's just this like very gruesome version of what parenthood should be. And at one point, Stryker says that like my son is dead, like and and talks about like Jason the adult as some sort of like creature or tool. And that it's not his son. And so it's it's just really like, God, I mean, it's just, it's just, I think for like the trans experience of like having parents who like don't want us as we are, like really hits home in a way that is really uncomfortable. And also then seeing this parent like physically hurt their child in a way to like make them different. So I thought that, yeah, I thought that was like, God, that's powerful. I mean, Henry, what'd you think? I was very struck by by the way that Stryker frames his abuse of his child. He's like, you, like, he has this problem and you wouldn't imagine, like, the thoughts that he filled me and my wife's head with notions and ideas. I was just like, first of all, that is vague as fuck. Okay, having a kid probably will fill your head with notions and ideas because it's a lot of shit to think about. But he was like, he he acted like this child deliberately like projected porn into both their brains which like maybe happened i don't know but instead of taking that as a cry for help or like oh wow my kid has special needs my kid is different whatever he set up this personal fucking vendetta with his own kid instead of just being like well shit like it just such a toxic father figure and then contrasted with the like the fire and ice brothers who i really liked the and the ice dude is basically Elsa, and his parents are saying conceal, don't feel. <laughs> and then the fire dude is just like, Pfft. like yeah, I loved, I loved sort of how even though Jason like has to exist in this really fucked up state, there is sort of like salvation for these two teenagers. Yeah, that like a bit of hope in the mix because I really liked them. Well, something that I think is so Jason's power is Jason can project visions into people's heads and like illusions. And the way Jason chooses to appear in those visions, though, is as, like, a little girl. That is also, like, recognizable Jason, because Jason has, like, what is it? It's, what, the eyes are different colors? I don't remember the word for that. The David Bowie. Yeah, the David Bowie thing. But it's, like, that's how Jason sees himself. This is one of those characters where I'm, like, not sure what pronouns we should use, because clearly Jason 
is referred to using like he him pronouns, but by like the dad who lobotomized him and gave him a short haircut when Jason's mental image of himself is as the sweet little girl he was that Charles Xavier tried to protect. And I think when Stryker describes like these horrible visions and like, oh, the terrible things we saw, and then that's contrasted with like actually seeing how Jason's powers work. And it's like, oh, it's a sweet little girl just trying to like exist and being like robbed of her agency and robbed of her future and forced to like live as this, live as this weapon in her dad's war is the life that she's like forced to live and becoming a weapon and becoming this tool of destruction is one of the things that I think makes her similar to Laura and that Laura was also like made as a weapon to be this thing that they wanted her to be, to commit violence, to belong to someone instead of herself. And her struggle and Logan's struggle in that last movie is trying to find a way to break that cycle of violence and trauma. Am I, do either you see that connection or is that just like an Ada thought? No, abs- no absolutely. 100%. Yeah, because he... The the Jason Stryker thing is the opposite of the Wolverine Laura, where he's like, don't like, please don't be what they want you to be. Please be something different. And Stryker's like, no, look, just be my tool. Be exactly what I need you to be. Like the opposite kinds of parenting. Oh, God. I mean, I just there's <laughs> these movies are so when you start talking about it, it is messed up. It is really <laughs> messed up. Um. Okay, Laura for me is a really fascinating character because what I really, what I find so fascinating about her is she is just as powerful as Logan is. And I really like the fact that she gets to sort of like exist as this like girl, but have that like invulnerability healing thing. She's got the, like, spikes in her hands, and she's got extra spikes in her feet. Um, and what I, I really like is you get to see sort of, like, both physical attributes and emotional attributes of Logan in her, which is this ability to sort of, like, open up and allow herself to sort of, like, be in the moment. And, and by being who, part of, you know who she is, she's able to sort of like wipe out mer- like whole armies of mercenaries in like these like spectacular ways while she's like carrying her tiny little backpack. And I found that like juxtaposition of like female power next to this like hulked out, like grizzled old Wolverine, like really, really interesting in terms of like understanding what like power and strength looks like. Because, I mean, she's, like, a tiny middle schooler. (laughs) And, you know, she's, like, she's murdering a lot of people. (laughs) Yeah. To, like, save herself and, like, save her friends. But also has that, like, rage of, like, you know, like, a convenience store clerk gets mad at her for, like, eating potato chips. And she, like, is going to, like, murder him. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. We got (laughs) to learn to dial this in. I don't know. I think it's just, like, I I love seeing sort of, like, the raw Wolverine-ness of it. Um, and it yeah. reminds me of that sort of like transness that we see in some of these kids where like they haven't been sort of like they haven't internalized any of the bullshit that us elders have. And so you see them just like, you know, just like being all that they are and just like shining. And you're like, 
you're so powerful. They don't even know how powerful they are. And so I think that's where I sort of like, you know, overlap that trans experience. It's just like, you know, like seeing how powerful Laura is and like these trans kids, they are so unbelievably powerful. And it is, it just like, it's not that they like need to be inspiring or whatever. They just are unto themselves, you know, knowing and being yourself can be extremely healing for everybody who gets to be a part of that. And I think they offer that to their families and they offer that to their communities and to all of these politicians that look upon them and say terrible things. They are still offering them. They're extending their hand and offering them that path to sort of like see who you are and like rest into it. I think on that note, let's move to the outro because that's, that was awesome. So because I'm a huge nerd, I've made a, I've made four categories for us to put things in. The categories are headcanon, things that are trans just because we want them to be major gender stuff. Lots of gender things happening, but not necessarily trans gender things happening. All but explicit. Literally, the only thing missing is the use of the labels that would be appropriate for the time. And literally trans. It's a literally trans story with trans elements described in the trans language of the time. Obviously, this is allegorical because it's, I don't have laser eyes. Um, I'm going to say laser eyes a lot. I don't think Jay Edden actually listens to this, but I'm saying that specifically to upset you. What do you two think? Where would you put this? It's tough. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it feels like a, a th- I'm going to say a three on the four point scale. I mean, because it just, I don't know, watching it, watching it now, it just feels, so, it feels like there's no way to unsee it. And I think that's, that's what makes it feel so explicitly trans is I say like, ooh, is there another way to read this? And it's like, well, it is very, it's very queer, but I think it is very centered in body stuff, which is very unique to the trans experience. And I think that's where it feels very trans. Yeah. Henry, what do you think? Yeah. I think, I feel like it's weird because like every character, every X-Man is different. Like... I feel like Jason is, like, an explicitly trans. Wolverine is maybe an, like, all-but-explicit, like, uh, Mystique feels literally trans. To, like, I think all the entire X-Men situation is major gender stuff, but I would say the Wolverine stuff feels more on the side of major gender stuff, I would say. That's fair. What do you think? I'm going to cheat and put it in multiple categories, because first of all, as I said, this is one of my biggest headcanons. I think one of the first tweets on our Twitter account is actually my face swap of Hugh Jackman Wolverine to, like, be feminine. (laughs) Yeah! And so this is, like, a deep headcanon for me. But then um, I think it's all but explicit in that... It's it's obviously not described as trans stuff. It's almost like allegorically, it's literally trans in the same way that the Little Mermaid is. Is like if this wasn't allegory, yes, it, it would just be trans. But it's it's pretty much all about explicit with some of the characters like Mystique. Obviously, so much going on. There's a, a lot of queer community around these characters. Like Magneto, mm. played by Ian McKellen, is not a heterosexual. I'm sorry, that's. That is a very gay man in his purple-pink clothes. Um, So into it. So, I don't know, it's a lot of queer community. Specifically looking at just Wolverine, I'd say it's all but explicitly 
trans just because it's so easy to do the trans reading. And the gender stuff around it, again, it's allegorical, but isn't like gender essentialism stuff, which I feel like is a lot of the times when you have like a major gender stuff. It's trans stuff. It's trauma and body stuff and discomfort in how you fit into a community because of who you are. And that all feels very totally trans. <laughs> so plug things. Remington, what, where can people find you? What are important things to you right now? What should people know about? Oh, God. Um, well, okay, first off, I am a chaplain by nature. And so this was some like, we, we touched on some heavy and hard things today. And so, you know, if I just want to encourage everyone to be very gentle with themselves and to like, the deal with trauma recovery is we focus on specific things that we can do. And so it can be something if this if this podcast has felt a little disorient, caused you to feel a little disorienting, some trauma stuff has like, you know, eked out to the surface, you want to take a moment today and you want to do something specifically yourself and to say that you did that. So it's, I went to the convenience store and I got a candy bar. I took a bath. And it's 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 very simple, but it is you saying, that's a thing that I want and I'm doing it for me. And so it's, it's very focused on the action. So I just like, I love you all and I care about you and I want everyone to feel good and just be safe. Where can you find me? So remingtonjohnson.com is where you are welcome to reach out to me there. It is Remington with one M, uh, spelled like the rifle, or Pierce Brosnan's character in the 1980s uh, TV show Remington Steel. You can also <laughs> you can also find me um, on Facebook and Instagram. Facebook is the best if you want to just click a follow and like see whatever stuff I'm up to. Uh, but for like uh, reaching out for public speaking stuff, you can do that on the website. And I wanted to thank Ada Rhodes and Henry. You all have been fantastic allowing me to wander in here and stumble around in the dark with you guys for a little bit and try to be as cool and as good with words as y'all are. Um, so I really appreciate it. This has been deeply meaningful and cathartic to me. So thank you so much. Yeah, this, thank, thank you. you. This has been such a delight. I Yeah, this, yeah. when you said you want to do this, also I just was ecstatic i've been looking for an excuse to do this episode and yeah and hopefully as uh, the start of a long friendship and cool stuff so thank you for listening to this episode of totally trans searching for the trans canon we have a patreon that can be found at patreon.com backslash totally trans if you back us at $3 or more per month, you can access our bonus episodes, the most recent of which is us talking with today's awesome guest, Remington Johnson. Also, if you back us at $2 or more per month, you can access all of our episodes one week early. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode, and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, because we live in a cyberpunk nightmare oligopoly. Join us next week when I will be telling Ada why the Dean from Community is totally trans. Totally Trans Searching for the Trans Canon is co-hosted by me, Henry Jardina. You can find me on Twitter at Punk Groucho. You can also find me at henryjardina.substack.com, where I write about film and masculinity. And co-hosted by me, Ada Rhodes Short, who can be found on Twitter at the Ada Rhodes. That's the underscore A-D-A underscore R-H-O-D-E-S. All quotes and audio clips are being used under fair use. And our season two theme music is Moonlight by Neil Lizas and was found on Pixabay. Until next week, keep searching. 
Magneto is right, by the way. Force Femme America. Angrier and much less handsome. And Remington agrees. Commit arson. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, that's the plan. Arson. I know I wrote those words, but you did a really good job. That was so good. I mean, Ada, I told you, you crushed it with that script. Yeah, no, I feel really proud of that one, actually. I, like, I really nailed it. I think about Wolverine a lot. You're a resilient little bitch, aren't you? <laughs>